Beautiful fall morning. My name is Pastor Jeff. I'm the interim here, and I've been with you almost two months now, really enjoying getting to know you and to pray for you. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're actually coming to the end of the book, and uh, Handbook for Believers. Our series looks like this. Today, Joseph Wu will be talking to us on how to get along in the body of Christ. Next week is missions and social concern, and then one more week after that, and we are done with 1 Thessalonians. Here's where we were last week, uh, dealing with, or two weeks ago, dealing with the second coming of the Lord. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then last week, continuing with the theme of the second coming, Brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. And since we belong to the day, let us be, here's how to get ready for the second coming, let us be self-controlled putting on hope, the hope of salvation as a helmet. And now here's today's passage that Joseph will bring to us, verses 12 through 15. And I would like to do this uh, reading out loud. Would you help me with this? Let's, let's not divide into men and women, but let's divide into old people and young people. <laughs> so I'll represent the old people. Thank you. But I need a volunteer to help me uh, with the young people. Would a young person come and read uh, the verse uh, uh, corresponding to... Well, you say, but Pastor Jeff, how, how old? <laughs> well, at Crossbridge, let's say 22 and above <laughs> is an old person. Well, I need someone 20, 21 or below. Volunteer? Are you... Okay. Come on. <laughs> So I'm going to read the first, the white one, then you'll lead them in the yellow one, then I'll do the white one, then we'll do it all together on the green one. Okay, stand by the mic here. Okay, so old people, we've got the white verses, and young people give the yellow verse. So uh, old people with me, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, those who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Ah. Uh. Hold them in the highest regard for lo- in love because they're of their work. Okay, do it again. Holding them. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Old people, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Everybody together? 
make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Thank you. <laughs> Our preacher today is Joseph Wu. Many of you know him. He is a third-year student at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and I had the privilege of having Joseph in a preaching class. So if you don't like his preaching, you can blame me. If you do like his preaching, then thank God. <laughs> Would you please welcome Joseph I'm glad we have so much energy. Must be from the extra hour of sleep. Let me see if this is working. There we go. Perfect. So I'm going to actually start us off with the question. When we interact with different people, do we respond differently depending on the relationship that we have with them? Maybe with our friends, coworkers, our classmates. There's a different relationship that we have with them than with our closer friends and our family members. On one side, maybe we have this mutual benefit, kind of give and take relationship. One day your coworker will fill in for you and then you can fill in for them another day. Or your classmates will help you take notes and you guys can trade and help each other to study. And on the other side, we have this more familial, more closer relationship where when you do something for them, you might not necessarily expect anything back in return. You might be willing to help around the house so that your spouse, your parents, your siblings might not have to do something. Or maybe you're willing to give up time to help them move or help them plan a surprise party. There's this difference between the two relationships. One more transactional, the other there's more service and sacrifice. When we come to church, which relationship are we seeking? Which one do we attempt to have? Is, it where we, is the church a place where we come to have emotional, spiritual, maybe intellectual transactions? Or is it a place where we come to serve, to live amongst one another? If we look to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, right before this passage, we see that Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul reminds us that our job is to come here, to build each other up, to encourage one another, to serve one another. And as we continue on with this handbook for believers, Paul separates for us in this passage three different groups of people. We're going to go through three different groups. The first, how do we as leaders serve our members? The second, oops, well, you guys saw it. How do we as members serve our leaders, and how do we as Christians serve each other? So we're going to jump right into it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, we have our first portion. How do we as leaders serve our members? We see here, the first one is, we are to serve those among us. And that makes sense. We're here, to, we're here working. Maybe you see those who are standing. You see like me. You see Pastor Jeff, Pastor David, Mikey. We're standing up here. We're serving you through preaching, through teaching, leading worship. These are the obvious ways that the leaders serve us. 
But there are also more subtle, more covert ways. Maybe those of us helping out in sound team, prepping for the service, prepping the Sunday school, prepping the Bible study, maybe prayer for our members, maybe setting up the chairs, setting up tables. There's all this stuff that happens in the background as well that we don't notice. And as leaders, we come forth and we serve not just in these obvious ways, but also in these covert ways as well. Oops, this goes too fast. Next, we see that as leaders, we are to be over our members. Now, what does this mean? This is, this is kind of strange. Does this mean that as leaders, we have this authority, we have this power over you, that when I tell you to do something, I expect you to do it? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but there's more to it. If you see the Greek word that's used here, it actually means to have an interest in, to show concern for, to care for, and to give aid. As leaders, are we interested in our members? Do we recognize and do we know the concerns and the worries that our members have? Are we ready to care for them? And are we ready to give aid? Or are we too busy worrying about administration, what happens next, how do we get things to work well? As leaders, sometimes... We, aren't all, we don't have to give them the answer to their problems either. I think many times we might be confused and we think, oh, if they come to me with a problem, now I need to provide them with a solution. But here I think as leaders, we're meant to care for them. And what that means is we can sit with them, that we're present with them, listening. So as leaders, we're to be caring for our members. Where we see this Third phrase, we are to admonish them. The first thing that comes to mind is this negative, I'm going to rebuke you, you've done something wrong, and now I'm going to tell you off. But there's more to it than that, too. The definition for this is to counsel. As leaders, we're called to be bold and to confront moral wrongdoing. And that's one of the hardest things that we have to do. But it isn't just to tell them that they're doing something wrong. How many of you respond well well to if I just said to you, just stop it. Whatever you're doing right now is wrong. You need to stop. Just get get over it. Just stop it. Even if those aren't the exact words we use, if what we do as leaders, if we come before them, we just tell them that they're doing things wrong, this might be what they hear. But that's not how Paul calls us to approach this. This is a very important word here, the word counsel. And that doesn't mean to just reprimand. But with the word counseling, I think there comes an aspect of listening, of being willing to reach an understanding, and also a willingness to walk with them through whatever they're going through. Instead of saying, just stop it, what if we turn that around We said, how can I serve you in turning from sin? Such a big difference between just a command to stop and a willingness to walk alongside them. So as leaders, we have to be ready, not just to serve our members, not just to be up here and doing things, but also to be caring for them, 
and also to be walking with them. And now this sounds nice, and being a leader sounds hard, but it's more than that too, because some of us may, get, may have real joy from serving. But what happens when our term for serving gets longer and longer and longer? Nobody steps up. We're undervalued. We feel like we're not making a difference anymore. I think that's when the temptation of pride or even apathy steps in. That's when I call us, that's when I want to remind us that as leaders, where's your heart? Where's your heart when you're serving? Is it for ourselves? Is it just for our members? Or is there something more? Is Christ at the center of our service? And so as leaders, I encourage you to remember what Christ has done, that he has served us, and so we can go and serve others. Next, we go into 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, and we're moving on to our next group. This is, how do we as members serve Oops, our leaders? And this is, there's two things here, and I think the first one is, respect and esteem them highly. Respect is this huge thing now, and it sounds easy enough as long as I just listen to them, maybe I'll just do whatever they say, but there's more to it. We're not just to respect them, but we're to hold them in the highest regard possible. Respect them and regard them highly, but also in love. Does that mean we blindly agree with everything our leaders say? I'm going to have to tell you that, like, most of us here probably have heard one or two things that our leaders say that we just don't agree with. Or maybe something they do that we just don't think is fair or just doesn't seem right. So what do we do? Do we respond? Oops. Let's move on. Do we respond with, you're wrong. I don't agree with you at all. You need to get off the stage because everything you're saying is just wrong. Or do we respond with this. I hear what you're saying. Can you explain? Because I'm not sure I exactly see eye to eye. There's a difference here in the, two, in the two ways that we can respond because one, we just want to get across what we're feeling. We just want them to know that they're wrong. But on the other hand, if we're to respect and to hold them in high regards and to love them, what we want to seek instead is understanding instead of just trying to be right or trying to tell them, tell them off, we seek to understand. We seek to listen. And why do we do this is up there. Because of their works. What we hope, and what Paul says, is what we hope is that our leaders are serving not for their own personal benefit, not for their own gain, but for the community because of God's calling. And this throws right into the next part of how we are supposed to be at peace among ourselves. Now, peace, this word has, is used over and over again in the Bible. We have the Greek word to be in harmony. And then we have the Hebrew word shalom, to be complete, to be whole, lacking nothing. When we think of peace, we think of 
not, no arguments, probably not disputing, more harmony. But how often is that how we feel? Maybe on the surface level, that's what we're really good at. We're good at seeming to be at peace. We're good at pretending to be at peace. What happens when we have a problem that's too big to deal with? We sweep it under the rug. Or maybe a problem that's too small to deal with. Nothing much. Let's sweep it under the rug too. Maybe something like, oh, that sign is hung up weird. I don't really like it, but it's okay. Or maybe, I just, I don't understand why I'm always at the butt end of all these jokes. It's not funny to me, but sweep it under the rug. Maybe, I don't really agree with what that leader said. I don't, I don't think he's doing what I... Or maybe, why do I keep being called to fill in all these roles? Why can't anyone just step up? I just want to serve together, but... Sweep it under the rug. What happens as we keep sweeping things under the rug starts festering, it starts growing. Maybe at some point we have this huge outburst. But for most of us here, most of us, we probably respond in a different way. We have this secret technique that's called passive aggressiveness. We're so good at it. Like, honestly, I think we're experts. We are great at dropping subtle hints so that subtle hints or ranting about people behind their backs or maybe just dropping in slights and passive-aggressive comments, also that the person will somehow figure out that we're not satisfied with them, but we'll never have to confront them about it. It's, it's the best. Like, we don't have to worry about anything, but they'll still know how we're feeling. And maybe especially when, we're, when our leaders do something that we don't like or do something wrong, we're very quick to judge them. We're very quick to talk about that behind their back. And what happens when you see them? You go up to them, you smile, you talk like a normal person. There's nothing going on. We're all good. What's the point of this surface-level peace? I don't think Paul's calling us to have just this surface-level, non-argumentative peace. But he's asking for deeper. Where's your heart in this? Is your heart at peace with this? If all it is is just to not argue, we're great at that. But if it's a call to actually be at peace, to be in harmony with one another, there's more that we have to do, and more that we have to be ready for. And so as members to our leaders, what that sometimes means is that we have to be the ones to seek conflict resolution. That's so weird, right? The members to seek conflict resolution from the leaders... But if we are to be at peace and we are to respect them and hold them in love, sometimes we have to confront our conflict in order to reach an understanding and to reach reconciliation. Not just to yell at them and throw our frustrations and our anger at them, but to reach understanding. And so as members, we serve our leaders by respecting them, by holding them in high regard, and by seeking peace them. We go into our third group now. Oops, that's so fast. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And there's, there's a bunch here because 
as Christians, how do we serve each other? This is only going to be like a short list, and there's probably many, many more. But the first thing that Paul says is, and the second thing, the first thing is to admonish the idol. If we remember from the word before, the word admonish means more than just rebuke. This is to counsel, to walk with. And now we're even being more specific. We're talking about those who are idle, those who are lazy, those who are complacent with where they're at. We are to admonish them, to rebuke them, but also to walk with them, to listen to them, to understand where they're coming from. And how do we do this? I think the first thing that we need to recognize is this needs to be done by example. If I was just sitting down on my couch, watching Netflix, eating potato chips, and then I said, hey, you, make sure you're not being lazy. Make sure you're doing work. Maybe you'll listen to me. I don't think so. If we ourselves don't even show to be active, don't even show to be serving, how can we expect to call others to do the same? And the, next, and the second thing is, we cannot come at this with pride. Many of us probably serve in different locations, different areas. Maybe we volunteer. And we're not to come at this with, hey, look at me, look at what I've done. You should just do a little bit of that. Maybe just, here, come along with me. You can do this with me too because I've already done all these things. We're not to come at this with pride. But we're here to understand to listen and to walk with them. Next we have, Paul tells us that we have to encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Do we recognize those of us, those around us who are suffering, those who are struggling, those who battle with depression, anxiety, those who are burnt out? Are we, do we recognize those of us who are like that? And if we do, are we ready to encourage them or are we even encouraging them? Or do we just say, dude, that's tough, or dude, I'm praying for you, and then walk away? How do we encourage our brothers and sisters? Maybe this can be prayer. It could be prayer. We can be there, present with them, praying. But I also think this is a call for us to have a shoulder that's ready for them to lean on, an ear that's ready to listen, and a heart that's ready to show compassion and encourage so that through their victories, we can celebrate with them. Through their losses, we can mourn with them. And through their struggles and their trials, we can surrender and lift that up to God. We have to be encouraging and ready to encourage our brothers and sisters. The third thing is, similar to the second, is, how do we, is to help the weak. Now, similarly, we do encourage, but I think there's more to this. I'm going to flip to James chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. And it says here, Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. Is, hmm. If one of you were to say to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm. Keep well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? If Mikey were to come up to me and he says, dude, I'm starving, I'm hungry, and I just said, all right, find something to eat. And then I just walked away. I mean, sure. I'm not, I don't think I'm being helpful at all. How do, we rec- how do we help the weak? And I think, once again, the first step is, 
do we recognize those around us who are sick, those who are in spiritual, physical need, those who are struggling? Are we paying attention? Are we recognizing what they're saying, how they are, and then ready to act? We have to notice in order to do all this. We have to pay attention to those around us. Fourth, we have this idea of to be patient with everyone. Now, being patient is something that we might struggle with or maybe something we're really good at. Being patient here is not just with those who are easy to be patient with. Maybe some of us aren't very, aren't very annoying, so it's easy for me to be patient with you, but for others of us, it's like, ah, I just don't know if I can deal with you. But Paul doesn't say to be patient with some. He says be patient with everyone. And how can this look? Has any of you ever waited for a friend to show up for more than five minutes? Raise your hand. More than five minutes? How about more than ten minutes? Twenty? Thirty? Has anyone waited more than an hour for a friend to show up? Oh, wow. Maybe you need new friends. No, I'm just kidding. But... We've waited before. We know what it means to be patient. We know what it means to, to wait with them. Or maybe patience in one of the things we talked about here in serving, when we're encouraging our brothers and sisters out of complacency, patience in struggling with our brothers and sisters through whatever they're struggling with. We know what patience is. But once again, is patience just this surface-level thing? I remember a few years ago, when I was attending NYCAC, now formerly known as Three Stone, after service is over, we would, the, many of the guys would go out and play basketball. We have a court in the backyard, so, and when the weather is great, it's perfect. So we were ready to play right after service. And I was excited. But then one of my friends decided to pull me aside, and he said he wanted to talk. He felt like the sermon had convicted, convicted him in a way, and he wanted to process his feelings. So I was like, I did the good Christian thing. I sat with him. I listened. But the whole time, I was just wondering, when is he going to finish? My, my body was here, but my heart was on the courts. And I was just, and his story wasn't really making sense. I don't really know what he was talking about. Some of you, this is that moment where you're thinking, ha. Huh, This is where God's going to convict Joseph. This is where God's going to say, dude, what are you even doing? Pay attention. But I'm going to have to disappoint you because that's not what I did. When he finished his sharing, I probably said some generic line like, praise God, or thank you for sharing. And then I was out out the door. But as I think back onto that, I wonder, how was I being patient there? Sure, my body was present but my heart already wasn't there. I think patience calls for more than just a physical being, a physical staying there, but also an emotional and a spiritual presence as well. If we're just going to be present with our bodies, I think we're missing part of the definition. Our hearts aren't at peace. Our hearts aren't tranquil. So I challenge us now, as we're being patient, is it just something that we're 
thinking? Because at that moment, I was probably thinking, wow, I'm being so nice to him right now. I'm listening to everything he's saying. When everyone else is playing out there. Or is patience something more? A state of our heart. And I challenge you to ask yourself that when you think you're being patient. Especially when we're waiting for our friends for more than an hour, for those of you. So as Christians, we're called to serve each other by being patient. And the last one, seek to do good. This is hard because this, what this is telling us is we cannot return evil for evil. Some of us probably, when someone does something bad to us, we're scheming in our minds days, weeks, months. They won't know what hit them. Or maybe some of us just resort to passive aggressiveness, which is just as good, I guess. Paul's telling us not to return evil for evil, but instead to seek to do good. He doesn't just tell us to worry about ourselves, but he says, make sure no one returns evil for evil. He's telling us to keep each other accountable as well. So it's not just, oh, as long as I'm not doing that, that's okay. It's, how do I also keep account for my brother or my sister to not be seeking to get evil for evil? And so as Christians, we are to serve in many different ways. And as I wrap this up, Paul gives us a good amount of instructions. And I think we've got a good amount of things here. And as a church, we're probably good at following rules. If, if I'm going to give you all these rules right like this, then we're probably going to be good at following them. Easy to do. Where is your heart in all of this? If the purpose in which, for why we are serving is personal gain, pride, glory, if it's for obligation or duty, if it's for the other person, yeah, I'm just really trying to help them. Or if it's because I told you to do it, and Paul tells you to do it, I think, I think we got it all wrong. How different would we be than the millions of other people outside of this area, outside of the Christian community, who are also nice, who are ready to serve and to volunteer and to help out? How different are we than them? I think this is where I want to remind us once again. Where is your heart in this? Are we serving out of obligation or out of personal gain or others? Or are we serving because of what Christ has done? Because Christ serves us, we serve others. Because Christ loved us, we can learn how to love others. Because Christ cared for us, we can learn how to care for others. So as Christians, we don't go out just to do things. But the source at which, for the, re- the source and the reason why we do things needs to be because Christ first served us. And so we serve others. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your heart, your spirit. Lord, that everything we do, God, it isn't about just the action itself. But Lord, from the bottom of our hearts, may all that we do be centered on you. May you continue to encourage us, continue to teach us how to encourage and teach us how to care for those around us and teach us how to love and teach us how to serve. Once again, we're just so thankful for what you're doing. May you continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.